Have you turned in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4? We've been studying everything that we've been studying in the context of the sanctuary. Of course, this evening I don't think I'm even going to even refer to the sanctuary, not, not even once, I don't think so. But that's alright, we're going to come back to the sanctuary. This is a message that needs to be heard, we need to understand what's going on here, and that's why I'm going there. So you're in Revelation chapter 4. A story is told about a biologist, his name is Thomas Huxley. He had an appointment in England, in a city of, in England, but something must have happened as he was riding on the train, and, and the train was delayed to some degree. He, he had an appointment to speak. Now, I don't know if you understand what that means, to have an appointment to speak. I have appointments to speak all the time, and I get really nervous about it. <laughs> and being late is not part of the equation, I'll tell you that. And if you happen to be late when you're going to be speaking, you get really, really nervous. So I can understand how this fellow, uh, Thomas Huxley, was feeling. He was late. And when he got to the train station, he jumped out of the train. He just ran to the nearest cab. The nearest cab being, of course, a horse-drawn buggy in those times. And so he jumps into the cab and he says, Top speed! He yelled to the driver, Hurry! And so the driver cracked his whip and the carriage went bumpity-bump down the road. That's what was happening. And so Thomas Huxley settled down into his seat. He, bribed, he breathed a deep sigh of relief. He was on his way when suddenly he thought, I never told him where to go. <laughs> here, here, he yelled. Do you know where you're going? And the driver answered, no, but I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that people are like that today? All kinds of people are like that today, rushing around at top speed, no time to rest, no time to smell the roses, no time to examine their lives, no time for God. And yet, they don't know who they are, they don't know what they're created, why they're here, and they don't know where they're going. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here? Do you know where you're going? Would it make any difference if you did? Oh, friends, it would make a pile of difference if you did. And I've got good news for you this evening. You were created unique. You were created with a special purpose. God has a plan for your life. One time, I was in Poland. Seems like it was a long time ago. Probably was, because I've been going to Poland since the late 90s. So it must have been 12 years or maybe even 15 years ago. I went to Poland. I had a series of meetings to do. I was doing a week of prayer at Springs of Life. And they had a lady there who was on staff uh, there. And she wouldn't. She didn't want to come to the meetings. And everyone told me she's really angry with God and she doesn't want to come to the meeting. And so I went to meet with this lady. She could speak English. And she was indeed very angry. And I said, well, hey, listen. Give it a, give it a shot. Give God a chance. I mean... Come to at least one meeting and then after that you, you can decide whether you want to come back or not. So she came to one meeting and she continued to come to all the meetings and she was tremendously blessed by the meetings that, that she attended. And at the end of the meeting she gave me a stone. A stone apparently that you can't get anywhere else but in Poland. It's one of the most beautiful stones I've ever seen and I still have it somewhere in my house. I couldn't walk up to it if I wanted to. But anyways, it's there. And I'd like to show you sometime. Well, here's the story of this lady. She was a pastor's wife. And the pastor had 
decided that he and his wife would move to Springs of Life and they would become staff there. So he drove his wife, he brought his wife to uh, Springs of Life and they unloaded whatever they unloaded, their stuff, and they were going to become staff there. And the, and the husband said, okay, I'll go back and get the more stuff and, and uh, he never came back. Just dumped his wife is really what he did. He dumped her at Springs of Life and he disappeared, never came back. And that wasn't the only tragedy that this lady had experienced. The two of them had had a daughter together, and this girl rebelled when she became a teenager. She rebelled against her parents, and she rebelled against religion, and she fell in, of course, as you would, with the wrong crowd. These people that she fell in with taught her that we evolved from slime. Now, you've heard stuff like that, haven't you? We're here by pure chance. There's no meaning to life. There's no purpose. There's no reason for living. We're like animals. We live to die, and that's the end of that. And they began teaching her that the best way to avoid all the pain in this world and the hardships and the heartaches and the troubles and the disappointment was, the disappointments that you find in this life, now you understand, was to end the life as soon as you can. And the girl committed suicide. She jumped off a bridge into an icy river and, of course, she did not survive. Now, if you were the mother of that girl and you've lost your daughter to a pile of garbage like this, and your husband dumps you at a place like, well, the place was nice, <laughs> but he dumped her, How would, what would you think about God? Ah, uh, friends, you know, she didn't know what to think. All she knew is that she was super angry. And by the end of the week, she was no longer angry with God, and she had uh, returned to her senses in, in this matter. It's a it's a tremendous blessing. Can I tell you that you're created to a purpose? Can I tell you that this business, that there is no meaning to life, is not true? If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, that's where I am. We're looking at verse 11. It gives us a little glimpse into the meaning of life. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And these are people singing in heaven. This picture is in heaven here. And there, there are people there already who are redeemed and they're in heaven already. There's a few up there and they're singing. This is what they're singing. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created what for? For God's pleasure. Now, if you looked at this verse through the eyes of an atheist or through the eyes of a very... A secular person, they would say, well, then that makes God pretty, pretty uh, greedy, pretty, how should I say, self-centered, right? He created all of these creatures and he created them all for themselves. Well, we need to understand what the verse is saying here. He, he has pleasure in his creation. He didn't create them specifically for his pleasure, but he takes pleasure in his creation. Just like you and I, when we would build something, we take pleasure in the thing that we build. It may not be as perfect as God can do stuff. We still take pleasure in it. And that's how God is feeling. He created us. He loves us. Isaiah chapter 43. This is page 642. Isaiah page 43. And we're going to look at verse 7 and then verse 21 in Isaiah 43. 7 and 21. Even everyone that is called by thy name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. 
Verse 21. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. When God created people, he created them in his own image. And in his image, they were to reflect back to the rest of the universe what God is like. That's why we were created. That's why we're here. We're here to honor God and to reflect back to the whole universe what God is like. This is our purpose. It's a great purpose, isn't it? If we understood it, it would be far greater, of course. Psalms 149. Psalms 149. We're looking at verse 4. This is page 559. 559. Psalms 149. If I repeat these verses often enough, I'll know them too. Psalms 149, we're looking at verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. And so God takes pleasure in you. He does. Psalms 35, verse 27. Psalms 35, verse 27. Psalms 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continuously, let the Lord be magnified which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And so it works both ways. God loves us. God takes pleasure in us. And he has pleasure in his people. And because he does, and these people reflect his image back to the universe, then he prospers them. And I can attest to the fact that this is truly so. Now, friends, you know, you've heard part of my stories by and by on different nights. You know that I come from a poor home. You know that I come from a poor family, French-Canadian family, uh, Roman Catholic background, big family. My father had 14 on his side. My mother had 12 on her side. They all had big families, lots of cousins, and all of them smoking and drinking and partying. And we were a real party bunch, for sure. And that's how it was. But in the end, you know, I quit school when I was 16 and and I went to work underground for nine and a half years. And I was, in essence, a nobody going nowhere. Now today, I suppose I'm still a nobody because the Bible says if a man thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But I'll tell you what, the Lord has taken me from this background and he's allowed me to have the privilege of preaching the gospel in at least 30 countries and I have a message to give, and I have a wife, and I have three children, and I have twelve grandchildren, and I am happy, and I have an eternal destiny. Don't I? Ah, what a blessing it is. And when I look back to where I come from, and when I look back to the people I come from, they're still all there, still doing the same thing, still drinking, still partying. They have houses, and they have cars, and they have stuff. But what did they have? What did they have? Ah, I praise God every day, every day. And I want people to have what God has given me. It's a gift. Blood bought at the cross of Calvary. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. I did speak one night about Revelation uh, chapter 14. Telling about the three angels' messages there. And if these three angels' messages are received, they develop the 144,000 which are without fault before the throne of God. Well, we're only going to look at verse 7. Just one verse in about six in the three angels' messages. Look at verse 7 in Revelation chapter 14. So the angel, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give Him the glory, 
For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Worship who? Worship God. Why? Because he's the creator of everything. That's what it says here. He created the, the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And it says here in the verse, he deserves to be worshipped by you. Today, we have nearly a whole world who believe that atheists and the scientists when they say that they are descendants from the apes. Now, friends, I don't have a quarrel with people who think they're descendants from the apes. If they want to be descendants from apes, they can be descendants from apes. I don't care. But I believe that I have a nobler beginning and I, have, I expect to have a, a, a nobler destiny as well. Is it possible? Sure, sure. But the Lord wanted to protect us from that kind of nonsense. He really, really did. And so he gave us two things that would help to protect us if we would receive the things that God has given us. And the first thing he gave us is his word. Ah, but the word is falling out of fashion. We said that today earlier when I was preaching at church this morning. The word of God is falling out of fashion. Oh, it's not that people say they don't believe the word of God. They carry it around. They do all kinds of things. The word of God is the Bible. They don't read it. They don't believe it. And what is it going? There's all kinds of Christians today who buy into this rather than buying into that. Isn't that true? Isn't Christianity going there? We believe in evolution. Why can't we believe in evolution? Who knows how long God took to, to create all these things? Well, friends, we know how long God took to create these things. The Bible says how long. If they'd read the Bible, they'd know how long it took God. Ah, they say, but it doesn't square up with science. Well, of course it doesn't square up with science. Try to grab a rock and try to determine how long it's existed, or a tree for that matter, or anything else, and look at creation, and you say, well, scientifically, if I had to prove it scientifically, I couldn't do it. God is not asking us to prove it scientifically. He asks, He's asking us to believe Him. He's asking us to trust Him when He tells us what He did. Just because scientifically it doesn't make any sense, and friends, it doesn't make any sense. It really, really doesn't. But scientists leave a creator out of the equation that can create all things in a moment just by speaking it into existence. If you turn with me to Psalms 33, that's page 496. The evolutionists say that we arrived here by chance. God says, no, I created you. And I didn't take a million years to do it either. Psalms 33 we're looking at verse 6 and we're looking at verse 9. And I love these verses. I use them all the time. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9. For he spake and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. Whatever he commanded did exist. Okay, so how did God create? He just spoke things into existence. How long did it take? Well, it didn't take very long. As a matter of fact, we're told, we know it took six days. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20 now. Exodus chapter 20. This is where we find the Ten Commandments and right in the middle of the Ten Commandments is this verse 11 that we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I didn't give you, I guess you got the page anyway. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. There you are. That's what it says. And not only that, he also created two wonderful beings, male and female created he them. In his own image created he them. That's what God did. But friends, he wasn't finished with the creation that he created 
As a matter of fact, there is another point that's vitally important. As a matter of fact, that's what we want to speak about this evening. The rest of verse 11 says, And he rested the seventh day. Wherefore, that is, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, hallowed it. As a matter of fact, he sanctified it. Do you know what it means to sanctify that day? Uh, he set it apart. He set that day apart to be used for holy use only. That's what it means to be sanctified. That day was totally dedicated to God. It is God's day. That's what it is. Um, which day was it? The seventh day. Have you looked at a calendar lately? We're going to get one? Just about now? Look at the calendar. You see? The first day of the week is over here. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It says ten there, but it's really seven. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. On which day does the week start? On Sunday. On which day does it end? Oh, Saturday. So we know that. Now, someone might say, well... Can you prove that from the Bible? And as opposed to proving it from, from the calendar? Well, of course it can be proved from the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a strange thing. I had an experience that, with that. When I first started reading my Bible and I began keeping the Sabbath, nobody else was keeping the Sabbath. I, you know, I didn't know anyone who kept the Sabbath. I just found it in the Bible, so I was keeping the Sabbath, my wife and I. And we went to visit some friends. Uh, his name was Gordon Nickel. And he was a drinking buddy of ours. His wife and my wife and he were always partying all the time. So we went to visit them. We'd go and eat supper there many times. They would eat at our house, all this sort of stuff. And then I was talking to him about the Sabbath day, that sort of stuff that I was discovering in the Bible. And he says, well, that's not biblical. For sure you can't find that there. And do you know, I didn't know my Bible. I was brand new. And do you know that God just took me and he says, go to the last chapter in the book of Luke. Well, it was the second last chapter, actually. So if you'll turn there with me, Luke chapter 23. This is page 936. It's amazing to me because that in those days I didn't know anything and yet God was able to say, here's, here's where you need to go. And he, con- he, he directed me to these verses in Luke chapter 23, the last part right there. And you can prove right there that the Sabbath is Saturday. Okay? Uh, we're looking at verse, let's see here, verse 52. By the way, you need to ask the question, on which day did Jesus die? Does people, do you think people know which day that Jesus died? Yeah, which day was it? Well, sure, Good Friday. They celebrate it every year and say they know that Jesus died on Friday. And so on which day did Jesus resurrect? Do you think people don't know that? They know that. And he knew that, of course, and he said it's on Sunday. Well, I said, which day is in between Friday and, and Sunday? Oh. It's Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's the day between. And look at it. Verse 52 to 24.1. This man went unto Pilate, talking about Joseph of Arimathea. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down from the cross, you understand, wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, that is a tomb, that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew nigh. And so here it was Friday, he died. It's called the preparation, because the people were meant to prepare everything on that day for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath drew nigh. That's what it said, or drew on. 
And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And so there it was right there. He could see which day it was that was the Sabbath day. And there was no argument. Well, I, I guess that's going too far. There's always an argument. People always are, have a way to rationalize this thing away. And some people might say, well, what difference does it make which day we worship on? One day is just as good as the next. Is that what the Bible says? Well, you and I know that it doesn't say that. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 8 to 11. You know that we're in the Ten Commandments here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Wow. Well, I have a question for you. Can we keep a day holy that was never holy? Can we? Supposing now you have a friend and your friend comes to you and he says, you know, I've been asked to go work in Europe for three years. Now I have this this old vintage car, this old antique car at home and it's in mint condition. And can I bring it to your garage and, and can you keep it there safe for me when I come back in three years from now I'll pick it up? Well, you say, sure, I'd love to do that. I like old cars anyway. You can, I have room in my garage. Bring your, bring your mint condition car to my garage and I'll be glad to take care of it for you. Well, when he shows up with the car, the car is a mess. <laughs> it's not mint at all. It's a heap. It's a wreck. Well, friends, how can you keep a car in mint condition if it isn't in mint condition to begin with? It doesn't work. Can you see how it works? God has made one day holy. He sanctified the Sabbath day. And some people would like to say, well, what difference does it make which day it is we keep? Well, how many days did God make holy? One. Well, how can you keep holy a day that God hasn't made holy? If it isn't holy to begin with, you cannot keep it holy. No more than you can keep that thing in mint condition. Isn't that a nice picture? Love it. That's Cadillac, you know. <laughs> yeah, used to be. <laughs> sure. Another illustration. At a wedding, usually a man married one woman. It's getting to change somehow, but that's how society is. We're going to have to... Uh, we're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But usually at a wedding, a man marries one woman. And he's so excited, at least most men are. Uh, anyways, I'm not going to say what I just thought about. <laughs> he, a man may be excited. He's got his wife. It's wonderful. Now, this woman has six sisters. During the engagement, of course, she was set apart. There's no longer six sisters. There's only one. That's the one that's chosen for him, set apart. Well, he comes to the wedding day and one of the sisters comes to him and says, what difference does it make? I'm as good as she is. Well, what do you think he would say? What do you think his future wife would say? 
Well, let me tell you something. My wife has three sisters. They're fine ladies. I have no no problem with those three sisters. But let me tell you what. When I was dating my wife, there were four sisters there. They were all single, the whole gang. And I was interested in just one. Somehow, the Lord is able to put something in your heart in relation to just one of them. And it doesn't matter if there's 20 sisters in the house. It makes a huge difference which one you're going to marry. Right? The which one you're going to end up with. Well, it's the same thing with God. He sanctified the seventh day, not the first day, not the second day, not the third day, not any of the other days. On top of that, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This is 884 in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus is speaking. We're going to look at verses 27 and 28. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. What does it mean when he says he's Lord? What does the word Lord mean? He rules. He's the owner. That's what he says. Did you know that Jesus is saying here, I created that day, it's my day. Do you know that all the other six days of the week belong to you? Six days shall you labor. These are your days. You can do whatever you want or need to do during those days. But when it comes to the seventh day, I want you to set all of that aside and that's my day. We're going to meet together on that day. You might remember that the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, right? Now, you can imagine what happens in in the minds of the people who are slaves for 400 years. They're, they're told to do what to do all the time. And they don't have any freedom. And I suppose and I assume that they did not, they were not able to keep the Sabbath very well in, in their captivity. So God sent Moses and he delivered the children of Israel after 400 years of captivity. And he brought them into the wilderness. His intentions was to bring, in, bring them into the land of Canaan. But he couldn't bring them into the land of Canaan until he had trained them to do right in the land of Canaan. And so he began a training program. And part of the training program, of course, at Sinai was all the rules and the laws that would make them the greatest people in the world. And part of that, of course, was the Sabbath day. You find that in the Ten Commandments. So God needed to teach them about the Sabbath the Sabbath day. They're in the desert. They're without food there. Page 64, Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16. And he worshiped, He worked out an amazing thing for them. I always find it amazing when I read about this. We're in Exodus chapter 16 and we're looking at verses 4 and 5 in Exodus chapter 15. And the purpose for this is to teach these people about the Sabbath. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Have you ever seen bread rained from heaven? Doesn't happen very often, does it? As a matter of fact, you know, I don't think it's ever happened since. Really don't think so. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, how is he going to prove them? Well, we're going to find out. It shall come to pass that on the sixth day... They shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, if these people believed God, what would they do? Well, every morning, 
when the manna was raining from heaven with the dew, they would go out and, and gather what they would need for that day. If they gathered more than they needed for that day, what do you think happened to the manna? It rotted. <laughs> it spoiled right there. But on the sixth day, on Friday, it rained twice as much. Why? Because they were not to collect this stuff on Sabbath morning. And then it should have rotten, it should have rotted on Sabbath morning like the other time. Did it rot? No. God kept it. So God worked a miracle. Forty years. Can you imagine? These people had, had forty years of experience with miracles every day. Every day God worked a miracle for forty years. It's amazing to me. You'd think that you'd know the Lord after forty years and He works a miracle for you every day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But of course, there were problems. Go to verses 21 to, from verses 21 to 26. And they gathered it, gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. That's what it was supposed to do. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers uh, for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. They, they were kind of, uh, you know, I guess they didn't know what was going on. And he said to them, this is that which the Lord said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath. Notice, he sets it aside. It's the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which we will bake and seethe, that is, boil that which you will boil. And that which remains over, lay it up for you to be kept until morning. And they laid it up until the morning, as Moses bade. And it did not stink, neither was there any warm in it. Therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day, in it thou shalt gather none. And so it was. But, did the pe- all the people obey? No, no. It's just that way with humanity. It's amazing if the wall is wet with paint, you put a sign there, don't touch the wall because the paint is wet. What are you going to do? You're going to touch the paint to see if it's really wet. You know, I, yeah, I've done that myself. And then I ask myself, why did I do that? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You know, the sign said it was wet. <laughs> anyway, verse 27 and to 30. Verse 27 to 30. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather and they found none. It was the Sabbath day. In verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And so they had to try it out. They had to touch the wet paint. They had to find out what it was all about. Well, anyway, we've established a few things already this evening. The Sabbath was instituted at creation as a memorial of God's creative power. Secondly, the Sabbath is found in the Ten Commandment law and given to the human race. Thirdly, the Sabbath is at the center of God's law. And you all know this. If you see the, the Ten Commandment tablets, and here we have the Bible. And on the one side is God's, is man's responsibility toward God. And on the other side is man's responsibility toward his fellow men. And the Sabbath is the last one on this page. It's at the very center and it shows us who is the creator, who owns this world, 
Who's in charge? Who's the Lord? All of these things we find in the Sabbath. The Sabbath commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Isn't that amazing that people remember everything else but the Sabbath? People know that committing adultery is wrong. As a matter of fact, we've just had, um, Tom was telling us this morning that David Petraeus, one of the great heroes of the American, Iraq, and, and um, Afghanistan war, is now in charge of the CIA, had to resign because he's been committing adultery. Yeah. People know. He knew. He resigned without, and I suppose he was going to get caught. I have no idea. But it seems like he came forward and he understood the mess he was in and resigned because he knows that it's wrong. And people know that stealing is wrong. And people know that lying is wrong and killing is wrong and having other gods and worshiping idols. All these things are wrong. People know and they remember that. Why is it that the only commandment that's in the in, in the Ten Commandment law that starts with the word remember, why is it that's the one that humanity has forgotten? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but you can see that there's a devil alive and he is cunning and he is wily and he works among us and he can bring on deception and he catches people flat-footed. He really, really has. And friends, there's a blessing in the Sabbath day, isn't there? Oh, it's not everyone that keeps the, the, the Sabbath that finds a blessing in it. As a matter of fact, little children kind of think that the Sabbath day is boring. It can be boring. It depends on the parents, what they do with their children on the Sabbath day. And so it's on our parents' shoulders to make the Sabbath day a happy day. Okay, turn with me to Isaiah 58. This is page 656, Isaiah 58. 656. It's a wonderful verse in the Bible, or verses in the Bible. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and it really speaks volume. And boy, I tell you what, I just wonder how many of us actually live up to what we're about to read. We're in Isaiah 58. We're looking at verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, that is from trampling on the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then, if you do all the thing, if you delight in the Lord by keeping his Sabbath day, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. You will show that you are delighting yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And I'm, I'm, all that I can think of is personally, because what I've been through, in, been through in life, and what the Lord has done for me in life, is that I can see that the Lord has helped me to ride in the high places of the earth. The Lord has done that. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Go to Psalms 37. This is a um, promise, Psalms 37, that very few people uh, understand. Psalms 37, verse 4. And I want you to see the connection that it has to the Sabbath. It doesn't mention the Sabbath here in Psalms 37, verse 4. And this is page 498. Look what it says. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that an amazing promise? What do you want? How do we relate to this promise usually? Do you know how we relate to this? We read this and it says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you whatever you want. Ah, but if you're not reading it right, do you know what He says? 
If you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you that in which you delight. Well, what are you delighting yourself in? Well, in the Lord. What are you going to get? Well, you're going to get the Lord. And that's what the verse is saying. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the Lord. That's that's what it's saying. And then in Isaiah 58, verse 13 and verse 14, it says, here's how you delight yourself in the Lord. By keeping my Sabbath holy. Not trampling it underfoot. Not doing your own pleasure. Speaking your own words. But that day, it belongs to God. And that's how you're supposed to keep it. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Well, if you do, He will give Himself to you. Well, there's more. And there's a lot more that we can study. The Sabbath is more than a memorial of creation. It is that. It's a memorial of God's creative power. I love it. But the Sabbath is also a special sign between Him and His people. And I wish that this room was filled with all non-Seventh-day Adventists. They need to know that God has a people and that He puts a special sign. He puts a mark on them, on each one of them. Now, we've all heard of the mark of the beast. I suppose, uh, I think tomorrow we're going to start, is it tomorrow? I think so. We're going to start talking about the mark of the beast. And we're going to talk about the mark of the beast also next Thursday. Thursday. Two whole sermon on the mark of the beast. The beast has a mark. He's, he identifies his people with a specific mark. Well, God does too. And this is what we want to talk about. Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 20 and 12. Ezekiel chapter 20. This is page, well, yeah, I don't have it here. Ezekiel chapter 20, we're looking at verse 20, and then we're looking at verse 12. God speaking says, and hallow my Sabbath, I mean keep it holy, that's what he's saying, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Is the Lord your God? And what's the sign? The Sabbath is, look at verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord that thus sanctify them. God is in the business of redeeming our souls and making us more and more like Jesus. And the sign that He's doing it is the Sabbath day. Okay, so I hope you've noticed God set the Sabbath day apart for holy use. God sets His people apart for holy use. And then He combines the two together and the Sabbath day is the sign that His people are set apart for holy use. Anyway, the Sabbath was instituted, of course, before sin came into existence and will continue to be observed long after sin has been banished forever. Isaiah 66, this is page 664. Now we're going to look at how long does the Sabbath last. Anyway, Isaiah 66. How long are we going to be asked to keep the Sabbath? Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 23. That's page 664, 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And so we're talking about the new earth and the new heaven now. This is when everyone is saved, everyone's in heaven, Every, everything is wonderful. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Well, friends, listen. If we were to sa- celebrate the Sabbath before sin ever existed, and if we're going to celebrate the Sabbath after sin has been banished forever, 
Well, what do you suppose we should do in between time, especially when we need it more than we've ever needed it before? May I ask you a question? What does the word Sabbath mean? Do you know? Rest. That's all. It's a Hebrew word for the word rest. Now, let's look at that again in Genesis chapter 2. You need to pick up the idea of rest here. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. That's after six days of creating and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he what? He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, can I illustrate this to you if I can? At creation, which day of the week did God begin creating? On the first day of the week, that's right, Sunday. On which day of the week did he stop his creation work? On Friday, that's right. What was the last thing that he created on Friday? Man. Why do you suppose God created man the last thing on Friday? Well, I can't hear, I can't stand here and pretend to know why he, why God does anything. I don't know why he did it, but I can tell you that he did create man the last thing on Friday, and that's a fact. And the other thing that I can tell you is that if man was created after the whole creation was created, then man had nothing to do with it. Man did not influence God in any ways. And that may be one reason that God decided that he would create the man the last thing. So that man could not rise up afterwards and say, well, God was going to create the, the grass pink and I told him that it would look better if it was green. You know? God had nothing to say about the whole thing. None at all. Okay? So, man had nothing to do with it. Thank you. What would I do without you? Okay? So man is created the last day of the week and he's the last thing created. What does he do the very first day of his life? He rested. He rested? He never worked. <laughs> Why is it that he would rest the very first day that he's alive? Isn't that amazing to me? I mean, to you, it's amazing to me. In any case, God worked, God produced, God created, and man received the whole thing as a gift. And all that man did was enter into God's rest. All that man did was enter into God's finished work. Isn't that a wonderful plan? Can you see the plan of salvation in there? It's right there. That's what it is. God does it all and we receive the whole thing as a gift. And the only thing we can possibly do on that day is enter into rest. Amazing. Well, eventually, God didn't like God's plan or God's way of doing things. Excuse me. Man didn't like it. You know, they've got two entities here. My mouth speaks faster than my brain can work. And uh, I need to slow down. Okay. Who is it? Man. <laughs> and what did man do? He didn't like God's plan somehow. Maybe he liked God's plan, but and, but it turned out like he rebelled in any case against God's plan. And you know what the consequences were? Look with me at Genesis chapter 3. We're right there in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 17 and 19. And it's amazing the connection we can make here. Okay, these are the consequences for sinning for man. Verse 17 to 19. And unto Adam God said... Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you. 
and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And in essence, God is saying, Adam, you didn't like my arrangements? Okay? You didn't like that I produced everything and I gave it to you as a gift? Well, go ahead now, start producing. And you'll need to work for everything you want from this day on. And so, it has been ever since that now we need to produce. And there are a lot of people who may sit around and produce nothing. And how do we look at these people? Well, we look down on them because we like producers. Don't we? Yeah. But it was never God's plan. God's plan, He produced everything. We entered into His rest. He gave it to us as a gift. And what a life that would be. (laughs) But by sin, we rejected God's plan and now God says, you want something? Go to work. Wonderful. But, you can't work yourself into heaven. You can't redeem yourself by working. God knew that also. And so He said, Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 5, Without Me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So, as great as work is for man, we still can't save ourselves by working. And Jesus knew that. Jesus had to take that into consideration. And so, In order to save us, Jesus himself had to return to the old plan. And Jesus said to humanity, I'll do the work, you enter into my rest. Question. Did Jesus finish the work of salvation when he was on the cross of Calvary? Well, there's two answers to that. He finished the first phase of salvation on the cross of Calvary. As a matter of fact, he used the words themselves. Didn't he say, it is finished. What day of the week was it when Jesus said, it is finished? finished? Oh, isn't that amazing? At creation, he finished his work on which day? On Friday. And on the cross, he finished his work. Which day was it? Uh And what did Jesus do the next day? He rested in the tomb. And what did the human race have that Sabbath day? All the work of salvation complete for them. Do you get the picture? Now listen, watch. Man began life the only way he could, by entering into God's finished work in rest. Likewise, man begins eternal life the only way he can. He can't contribute anything to it. All that he can do is to receive it as a gift. He enters eternal life through rest. Therefore, the Sabbath is a memorial of God's creative power, and the Sabbath is a memorial of God's redemptive powers as well. Isn't it amazing that most churches in the world point to Sabbath keepers and say that's legalism when it's exactly the opposite. They point to us for keeping the Sabbath and they say that's legalism and what are we doing? We're entering into rest. Now what kind of legalism is that? We set aside work and we enter into rest and they call it legalism. And what are they doing? They go to church Sunday morning, they work the rest of the day, or they watch football and drink beer, whatever, you know. They don't understand that the Sabbath is a memorial. The Sabbath is the sign of righteousness by faith. Most Adventists don't know it either, for that matter. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. This is page 1063, Hebrews 
chapter 4. Beautiful verses, pertinent to the thing that we're studying. The Apostle Paul here says, let us therefore fear. By the way, the Bible says we shouldn't fear anything. Perfect love casts out fear. Ah, but there is one thing that God says we could fear. We should fear. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. God wants to give us rest. Put aside this idea that you need to get some things done. God says, no, no. There comes a time when I'm telling you to rest. And be afraid if you don't enter into that rest. That's what it says. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, talking about the people in the wilderness, the Israelites, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So God gave them promises too, but they didn't trust Him. So they went to work when they should have gone to rest. Verse 9 and 11. There remains therefore a rest. And by the way, if you have a margin, it says there remains therefore a Sabbath to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Isn't that beautiful? And here comes the injunction. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. If you can't trust God enough to rest, you're not trusting God enough. And the Bible says you are fallen from grace. To me, that's super beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Ah, friends, how many of you would like to thank Jesus for the gift of salvation? Yeah. How many of you would like to celebrate that gift with Him? Every Sabbath, He meets with His people. Do you know that he has a special date with his people on that day? And that's why he's commanded. Do you know that there would never have been an atheist? There would never have been an agnostic? There would never have been anyone that did not believe in God if from creation God's people had remembered to keep the Sabbath day holy. Because they would have remembered every Sabbath of God's creative powers. And they would remember every Sabbath of God's redemptive powers. And we would send praises up to the Lord always, always. He has a special date with us on that day. That's why he says, hey, get everything done before the Sabbath. Get your meals prepared. Don't waste any time on Sabbath doing mundane things. I want to meet with you. We have a date and we're going to be together all day long. Well, we're not very good at this. We don't have a lot of faith. We don't envision God with us all day long. But we want to. And I think as time goes by, we're going to do it more and more and more. We're going to set aside our pleasures. We're going to set aside our own words. We're going to set aside our own ways. And we're going to delight in the Lord. And He will give us the delights of our heart. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.